Why don't we turn in our Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 31. That's in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles chapter 31. We're going to start at verse 20. And we're going to read through into the next chapter, 32 verse 8. Let's start. 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verse 20. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart. So he prospered. Chapter 32. After these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city. And they helped him. Thus many people gathered together who stopped all the springs and the brook that ran through the land, saying, Why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? And he strengthened himself, built up all the wall that was broken, raised it up to the towers, and built another wall outside. Also he repaired the Milo in the city of David, and made weapons and shields in abundance. Then he set military captains over the people, gathering them together to him in the open square of the city gate and gave them encouragement saying, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. You know, interesting side note, just to start, Wednesday night, Hercules taught, and he taught from Joshua chapter 1. And in Joshua chapter 1, he said to be strong and courageous. Um, This is not necessarily going to be the focus of what I'm speaking on, but I think the Lord is reminding us and wants us to be reminded that we need to be strong and courageous and in him. So a little side note there. One of the things you'll realize with... uh, when I, when I teach, it tends to be a common theme. Um, it's often about strengthening your walk, um, calling out sin, uh, dealing with healing, forgiveness. Um, and a lot of that's very personal to me. Um, you guys know a lot of my testimony that I share with you guys. Um, but it's very important for these things to be brought to light because this is what's going to enable us to walk in a healthy way, in all aspects of our walk. Um, and for some of you, you might say, well, I don't have these problems that you talk about, or I don't struggle. Well, that's, that's awesome. Um, but you might be in contact with somebody who does. You know, this is not just for us to take and glean and walk away in, in selfishness. You know, the, the thing is with a sponge, right? We've talked about this before. A, a sponge, if you fill it with water and soap, it's just a sponge with water and soap. You've got to use it. So as the Lord pours into us the word of God, we need to be using it, not only applying it to our lives, but then ministering to others. And not to be fearful in ministering to others, especially if it's, you know, people, co-workers or, or neighbors that you might be more fearful than, you know, you can say whatever you want to your family most times. Um, but for me, this is very important because 
I lived a lot of my young adult life in bondage of sin and addiction. Um, a lot of it was, um, a lot of it had me in chains and it, was, it filtered in other ways and we've talked about that. Um, but that was even when I was involved in ministry. Um, and we'll look at some of these things later, but these things are very important. Why? Because a lot of times what will happen is, and it's not just somebody who's in ministry, but a lot of times it, it can happen there. You know, you hear about a pastor falling and it's like, well, what was happening up until that point? A lot of times they're trying to fix it themselves or they're just ignoring it or they feel like, well, I'm, I'm so-and-so and I can't be sinning, but we're all sinners. Um, and so that's one of the things that's important because what the enemy will want to do for everybody is quiet the sin. It's not a big a deal or you'll be ashamed or you shouldn't. All these things that you guys, you know, that you hear that gets whispered in our ears. And that's the kind of stuff that we need to reveal, expose and handle. Now, I'm not saying it has to be dealt at a public forum, like, okay, start a line, tell me your sin, move on. Well, you know, well, everybody exposes their sin, but there's opportunity for that. I mean, there's, there's, there's reasons why the Lord, you know, has me here this morning to, to, to talk about these things. Um, and I think it's because it's important. Um, and so for me, that sin and that addiction was, it, it, I was a young married person. It was when the internet just became um, around, just became alive, really. And, and I struggled. I struggled with this, uh, the addiction of pornography, which really is the worship of Ashtaroth. Um, you know, all the th- addictions that are out there are, can harken back to the, the things that we read in the Old Testament of these worship of idols, and we're saying, oh, well, it was back then. No, it's happening today. It continues to happen. That demonic spirit is still working amongst us. And those are the things that we need to recognize for what it is and then cast it out. So in a lot of instances, too, um, people have to hit rock bottom before they can even make a change. There are those who can stop themselves. They're miraculous that they are able to find victory and, and move to that point. They get to that surrender. But it only comes if you have that surrender. And honestly, we look at the addiction people or people who have, you know, checkered past and look at it as like, oh, it's a bigger deal. But, you know, I think it's harder to reach people who have been churched and have been good all their lives. And I'm not knocking it. I'm not knocking um, anybody who hasn't really dealt with, you know, something that's that bad. But, you know, Romans tells us the wages of sin is death. It's not the wages of some sin. It's the wages of all sin. And so I think it's even more dangerous if somebody who who goes to church every Sunday because that's what you do, and they go through the motions every Sunday because that's what you do, and then you walk out of here, and it just is in one ear out the other. So we're all in the same boat, right? We all have different, just like we have different interests and different likes and, and, and so on and so forth. It's the same thing with our walks. It's the same thing with the sin that we struggle with. So um, it's important, too, to understand that there's things that I know for me as when I surrendered and, and there was devastation brought to my life, and, and I surrendered, and I said, okay, things are going to get better. And so I had my agenda that I handed to God, right? Okay, Lord, you don't even have to think about it. Here's the script to just fix it all, to change the story. You, you can just work on somebody else. You know, I've, I know there's other people that need more work than me. And that's not what ended up happening. And, um, you know, through that process, the Lord showed me even more about himself because he was showing me that I was going to him for what I wanted. 
I will be, love you more, Lord. I'll put more time, pour more prayer, be more spiritual, Lord. Not realizing on the side that I was saying, if you just do, if you just give me, if you just, you know, I was trying to earn the Lord's favor and his action. And that's not how God works. Does he love us? Absolutely. Oh my goodness, does he love us? Oh, how he loves us. I mean, for what he did on the cross alone, but yet he still walks with us. He still fellowships with us. Even in our sin, and we were enemies with him, he still loved us. I don't, that's just mind-blowing to me. That's why he tells us to love our enemies. (laughs) But we can't do that without him because that's a spirit-filled action. Um, So for me, I didn't get what I wanted, what I thought I wanted. And because of that, and before that time, I was the closest I ever was with God. Things didn't happen the way I thought it would happen. And then I started to spiral, spiral downhill because I wasn't getting my way. God used that to reveal these things to me. But you know, I spiraled down into more sin. So I was at the closest I'd ever been with God in my life. And it was like I jumped off a cliff into sin. So much so I was involved in sin that I ended up getting a mysterious illness that the doctors couldn't even figure out. You know when that went away? When I stopped the sin. It wasn't like that, but it was over about a month time. The sin stopped, and that illness went away. So, and I can tell you, the doctors had no idea. I mean, they pumped me through different things, tested me with different things. They couldn't figure it out. It was pretty cool, though, because then I gave them a testimony of <laughs> you know, telling my doctor, I figured out what it was. I've been in sin. And I stopped the sin and the Lord revealed that to me and he's been healing me now. And they just looked at me like I could hear the crickets from like down the street. <laughs> well, if that's what works for you. No, it works. I mean, I, I could write you a prescription and tell you how to work and fix things in your life. But that didn't go very well. I don't know why. But, but uh, so my point with this is that this theme is not only common in, in our lives, this is common what we see in the Old Testament. So as we walk through this, we see this often with the kings of Israel. So before King Hezekiah, there was King Ahaz. So in Second Chronicles 28, uh, verse 22, we see King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, because the gods of the king of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them, then they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. So this was right before Hezekiah. So Hezekiah began his reign and he cleansed the temple, restored temple worship and the observance of Passover. So does this sound familiar? We talked before about Josiah, right? Um, Interestingly enough, is that there were about 45 years between King Hezekiah. So he cleanses the temple, he restores worship, 45 years between King Hezekiah and King Josiah. But Josiah had to go through the same thing again. So how was there such a quick turnaround of 45 years? Well, King Manasseh, that's the reason. 
So he was one of the most wicked kings uh, that Jerusalem had ever seen. Uh, Manasseh did so much wickedness that he caused the entire nation to turn away from the true God. Manasseh set up idols and altars in order to worship false gods, built an idol and placed it in the temple um, that Solomon had built for Yahweh. Uh, Manasseh was so wicked that he sacrificed his own children by killing them in religious rituals to these false gods. So the Bible explains that Manasseh caused the land of Judah to be even more wicked than the nations the Lord had destroyed when he brought the Israelites into Canaan. Um, Because of this wickedness, the Lord sent the Assyrian army against Manasseh and Judah, um, and the Assyrians captured Manasseh, put him in chains and hooks, and dragged him off to Babylon. So while in Babylon, Manasseh realized his sin, and we see in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 12, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And he received his entreaty. He heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord was God. So we see here that Manasseh's repentance wasn't just that worldly sorrow that we talk about. There's worldly sorrow, godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is I was caught. I'm sad that I was caught. I'm sad that I have repercussions for being caught. Godly sorrow is you are mourning that you have sinned against the living God. There's a difference there. You know, you can see it often in your kids. You can see it with um, others, you know, in, in your life that there's, there's a big difference. When you see worldly sorrow, you know there's a change. Um, and that's one of the, the indicators I saw when I did addictions ministry for so long was that when I saw somebody who was, yeah, you know, this happened and that happened, uh, you know, I got slapped on the wrist and my wife did this and my, you know, money and that, 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 that. And it was all, all the things that they lost as opposed to, I have nothing. It was, it, it, it was very interesting to see um, is that the ones who were, who had that godly sorrow and it didn't, they, some of them didn't even know God. That's the interesting part. They knew that they were empty and they had nothing to offer. They weren't making excuses. They weren't blaming my, because my dad and because my mom, you know, they were taking responsibility for themselves and they just came empty and saying, I'm just here because I need, I need to be somewhere. And um, that's when you know there's going to be change. And King Manasseh had that change. So he went from the, being the most wicked king to knowing the Lord God and following after him. See, these things can happen like that. I think that's important for us to remember. Um, in Second Chronicles thirty-three fifteen, this is where we see Manasseh's godly sorrow because um, he returned to Jerusalem and he took away the foreign gods and the idols from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he built in the mount of the house of the Lord and Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord's sacrifice, peace offerings, and thank offerings on it and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. So he had this, Manasseh had this dramatic transformation. And out of these things, not only, okay, so looking at ourselves, we can easily fall, but there's always that opportunity. Like God of the Bible says, you turn to me, I will forgive you, I will heal you, I will be your God, you will be my people. If you're in that spot, that's important to understand. If you are praying for somebody that's in that spot, be encouraged. Because if King Manasseh, the most evil king that Israel had ever seen, worse than the nations that God destroyed because of their idolatry and evil, if he was able to be transformed, then anybody can be transformed. 
I'm sure there's, there's many of us in here could say, I was, the, I was the one that people say, that guy got saved. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope for yourself if you're struggling. Don't give up hope for your loved ones that you're praying for. God is hearing your prayers. God is listening. God is, 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 is faithful. And that's what we have to count on. If we believe he is who he said he is, and he will do what he said he'll do, it might not be the way that we think, might not be the way that we wrote the script, but take heart. Keep praying. Keep following. Be strong and courageous. So let's pick up back in our text. 31, 2 Chronicles 31, 20. So thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law, and in the commandment, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart. So he prospered. We know that when we seek God with all of our hearts, we prosper. And this is not about riches. This is not about money, even though that is, is often a byproduct of that. But we know, and, and uh, uh, Emma prayed this today about Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. If you seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. I think there's one thing that we need to be careful of is that we kind of make excuses. How can I do it with my whole heart? There's two excuses. This. I can't do it with my whole heart or we think we're doing it with our whole heart. But I think that there's that, there, there's that contrast of, I don't think we'll ever be able to get to that point, but we need to strive to do so. We need to continually be praying, Lord, reveal these things to me. Reveal my heart. You know, he tells us our heart's desperately wicked. So if God is saying that, then we, not, we need to make sure that we are diligent in protecting our heart, diligent in maintaining our heart for God and seeking him with it with all of our heart. But we know too that there's other forms of prosperity. Um, peace, joy, contentment, love, grace, mercy. I mean, who would not want to prosper in joy? You know, I don't see anybody saying, yeah, I got too much joy. I, I, need, to, I need to back away a little bit. I've got too much peace in my life. I'm, I might need to go to a protest or something. The peaceful ones that are happening. Um, all right, we won't go. We'll, so anyway, but those are the prosperity. That's the prosperity that we are going to receive as we seek the Lord. And the more we seek him with our heart, see, that's the one thing that when I went through my trial, and, and I, I know, and I don't say this in any kind of pride. I know I've said this before, but I'm not, I'm not saying this with any kind of pride, but I know I can go through anything now because of what I've been through, because of what, how the Lord revealed himself to me, because of how he made himself alive to me, the things that he just entrenched in me to say, this is a solid foundation. Even in my sin, those things did not change. My belief, my understanding. And so in that, because of that time of seeking the Lord, that's what he did within me. He emptied me so he could pour in more of himself. So back to our text, chapter 32, verse 1. After the deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He, can't, he encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city. And they helped him. Thus many people gathered, people, uh, gathered together who stopped all the springs and the brook that ran through the land, saying, Why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? 
So this is an area where I want to I focus on, on verse 3 here. <clears throat> um, and the idea of stopping the waters, the springs to the enemy. Um, it's important to understand how vital water is. And I think we all know this, but let's go through a little bit of it. Um, without the flow of fresh water to drink, there is no health or growth. We can last about three weeks or so without food, but only three or four days without water. Without water, the body is unable to function correctly and will stop working properly. For us, we have water in abundance, right? We can go to the store, we can, go, we can turn on a faucet, we can, we can access water in many ways. But it's important to understand for the land of Israel how important water was. In Deuteronomy eleven, ten through 12, the Lord said, For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. God set up this promised land for the nation of Israel to be completely dependent on him. They did not have a source of water except for what came from God. Do you understand that? I don't know if, I don't know if we, we fully grasp that. We, in, in a physical sense, we understand that. The nation of Israel could not survive unless God watered their land physically. And I think that that really points us to, obviously, the, the Holy Spirit within us. And thinking about water actually is a good time to take a water break. One thing that's interesting as I was looking into this, <clears throat> there's four different terms for water in Hebrew for what they receive. I'm, we're going to look at two of them. Um, the first one is the yura, Y-O-R-E-H. And that's the former or earlier rains. Um, this is the first rain of fall that brings um, relief from the heat. You know, they, their summers get so hot, it's it's. It's unbearable in many ways, but it hardens the ground. The, the heat from the, the sun hardens the ground, so it's so hard. I don't know if you've ever been to Israel, um, but there's areas it's like walking on cement, you know, the, the, the hardened ground. And so this yura, this, this early rain comes, and it's a light rain. And the purpose of that rain is just to soften the ground. Um, it's, it's usually in the fall. Um, winter is their rainy season, but... Um, that rain is specific to, to, to soften that hardened ground. So the Malkush, which is the latter rain, which is usually around Passover, which is, you know, in the spring, that's more of a hard driving rain. That rain comes to soak the land so the land can absorb the water for springs, but also for the vegetation. Um, so it's interesting that and in this, if, the, if that yura doesn't come first to soften the land and the malkush came first, then that water would not be absorbed. That hard rain that is meant to satiate the land and the ground and, and provide water for, for the, the, the seasons of spring and summer would only just hit the ground and just flow, just flood, and then go off to wherever it would go off to. So it wouldn't be used in that way. So it's interesting that the, the, the Lord has orchestrated it in that way. I don't, do, I don't know if we've even think, I don't, I'll be honest, I'm ignorant. I'm not a farmer. I'm from the city. I go to the store and I buy stuff. 
So I'm not versed in how things work, but I never really thought about that in terms of that, that this is the system that God had put in place um, for his nation. Soft rain first to soften up the ground and then that harder rain to do the work that um, he desired for it to do. Um, and I think I, it's, it's a beautiful picture of this, this. The Lord desired that intimacy with his nation, that even in that area that he desired for them to be dependent on him. You know, we've, we've become very comfortable in the United States. We know that, and it's a blessing in a lot of ways. Um, we know that our, the poorest of our poor is still richer than most third world countries. And that's an interesting thought. You know, we are such a blessed nation. One of the reasons is because of our faithfulness in, in, in this country, which is, is dwindling away um, from what it once was. Um, but God has, has blessed us, so we have the abundance of water. We have the abundance of, of food available to us. But this is why, as we read through the Old Testament, the droughts that were there, this is why it was so devastating to them to not have the water. It wasn't just for drinking water, but it was also for their food, for their sustenance. They would have to rely elsewhere for, for what they couldn't provide for themselves, you know, in their own quote-unquote backyards, in their own vineyards and, 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 and lands. Um, but... I believe that this system that the Lord designed for Israel was to also point them to their spiritual need. You know, it wasn't just a physical need. You know, when we have physical needs, yeah, it drives us to our knees. You know, we're praying for our loved ones, praying for ourselves. You know, when we're sick and it's, it's horrible, we're, we're, we're crying out to God, please heal, please heal. Um, but I think that this need for that physical water, the Lord made it so that we would see this need that would be projecting toward um, Jesus, our living water. In uh, John 7, 37 through 39, we see that on the last day of the, the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. This happened at the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was right after Yom Kippur, which is usually in September. This would be the time of the early rains. So it's neat when you look at these things and you see like the Lord didn't just out of nowhere say, ah, this one sounds good to say, I'm going to say this one, living water. They understood it at this time because this would be the time when the rains would start. This would be the time when the hardened ground would start to soften. And this is what Jesus came to do. John came to prepare a way. Jesus came to, to teach these radical new ideas about God and relationship with him and to reveal who he is. So at this time, his analogy of this water would make perfect sense to them because they would be coming out of the heat of the summer. They would be coming out of the, you know, some of you may be used to like the heat. I don't like the heat. Um, and sometimes I feel like I walk outside and I just feel it drain me all of a sudden, just right away. To the point where I'm like, I, if I didn't have to go out, I'd just turn around and go right back in, stay in the air conditioning. Um, but this would have been that time. They didn't have air conditioning, as we know. <laughs> Who knows where their supplies would have been in terms of the water. But this is why this would have been so poignant to them at that time. Living water. So 
On the contrary of this, if there is no flow of living water to the land or our spirits, we end up like the Dead Sea, right? Um, the Dead Sea doesn't go anywhere, so the, the high, it's the lowest place on earth, but the high salt content is because the water just evaporates, and so the salt just drops into the sea. So this tactic of stopping the flow of water to the enemy would have been crippling to the Assyrians. They wouldn't have been able to last very long. You know, we're always thinking about combat, but what we also have to think about the supply that we are providing to the enemy. So I want to look at some ways that we could be supplying this flow to the enemy in our lives. Again, you guys know, already know what you're struggling with. You already know that the things that are your weaknesses. You know where, where that supply line is, great or small. But here are some things that I think help to feed the enemy and to feed that sin and to feed these issues in our lives. Number one, fear. Uh, I think it can manifest in many forms and affect many areas of our lives. We could have unhealthy fear of God. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned and they realized they were naked, they hid from God. If they knew God, they would have known that they wouldn't have to hide from God. And it would show a, a lack of understanding in their relationship, but even more so how greater was the fear in their lives. Um, and I know that's something, too, that some people who are involved in sin, they kind of, instead of their prayers being like this, their prayers are more like this, you know? Kind of like, I, I don't even want to look up. I don't even want to, you know, I, I'm not even worthy to go before God. Where none of us are worthy. Confess it. Bring it before God. Um, another way it can create an unhealthy fear in our lives is that if you remember the story of the, the woman with the issue of blood, and her thought was, if I can only touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I'll be healed, which is a great, amount of faith but when jesus said who touched me she she began to be fearful you know that was the wrong perception of god so it's 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 very important for us to make sure and that's why we're in the word of god we get to know god through his word and that's the fullness from genesis to revelation that's why we go through the whole book of the the whole all the books of the bible to get to know all of god as much as we can we know that we're told that we, the, there's not even enough volumes on earth that would hold the things that God has done. Uh, and that's amazing. But um, anyway, so, but to understand, to, to attack those areas of wrong thinking, our relationship with God and who he is. Uh, also fear of man. We see that Moses was fearful of leading the Israelites. Um, Gideon was fearful. I mean, God came to Gideon and said, I'm going to use you. And he was fearful, you know, the blessing is we can talk to God and say, Lord, I'm scared. Um, um, but fear can also create that to make us then not do what God is calling us to do, the fear of man. Um, you know, I, I often talk about when we, when we talk about things of the Lord with people, you know, I make it such part of my regular daily conversation doesn't even register to me that I'm talking to somebody about the Lord. Sometimes we make it like, ooh, I'm going to be talking to somebody about the Lord, and we get so afraid and fearful and anxious about it because what if they're offended? What if this? What if that? If you just make it part of your everyday life, it's just going to come out to the point where you won't even be able to stop it. And it's, you know, from there, it's up to the Lord. So what happens, what happens? But um, that fear of man also feeds the enemy. And also, too, a fear of imperfection, I think, is a big one. It can be very crippling. People get stuck in the paralysis of analysis. Am I doing it the right way? If I, if I 
you know, am I saying it the right way? You know, the Romans road. Here's the verses, the Romans road. If I mess one up, oh man, this person's going to be confused about how to get to heaven. They're going to go, you know. No, we don't have to be perfect. God purposely is using imperfect people. I mean, hello, I'm up here. We've got imperfect people being used for imperfect people. That's That's the system that God has created. That's amazing to me. He only needed one perfect person for his plan. And that was it. And just so we're settled on this, none of us are it. So I don't, if anybody was confused about that, just to clarify. So the next thing, so fear. Fear is one of those things I think is, is a, a, a flow of water that we feed the enemy to, to hinder our walks. I think another thing is selfishness. Um, and I think selfishness and fear go hand in hand. One of the things about selfishness is it's the antithesis. It's the opposite of, of love. Selfishness is worried about me. Um, Lou Priolo in The Complete Husband, which is a book I'm reading. When I'm done, I'm going to be complete. But I, I don't know why that's funny. But um, he says, people who are selfish tend to be fearful. And people who are fearful are necessarily selfish. So love is being more concerned with what I can give than what I can get. Selfishness is being more concerned with what I can get than what I can give. Fear is being more concerned with what I might lose than what I can give. So we see this in in Acts chapter 5. And you guys know this story. Uh, When Ananias and Sapphira... um, sold their land, and they lied about how much they made. And uh, Peter said to him, to um, Ananias, why hath Satan filled you, your heart, um, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not yours? And after it was sold, was it not yours? Why then have you conceived these things in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And we know the story that they both perished after that point. So selfishness cost them their lives. So what areas can we become selfish? We know with our possessions, um, with our time, money, all the, the basic things that probably was already coming to your mind, but also with comfort. Um, we looked at couple Wednesday nights ago we talked about the fellowship of suffering that Paul talked about you know he wanted to grow in his fellowship of suffering with Christ and I don't think many of us would say yes that's what I'm going to do today I'm going to wake up and I'm going to connect with the fellowship of the suffering of Christ but I think it's very important in our walks to be able to do that because not only is that and Paul told us that he was doing that for the sake of the church that's selfish. That's selflessness, not selfishness. Selfishness says, I don't want to do anything. I want to come to church because that's the right thing to do. I enjoy it. I mean, it's not as great now that the food's not there, but I'm going to go. I'm going to fellowship. I'm going to, you know, do what I'm going to do, but I'm going to get out of there as quick as I can. I'm not going to, you know, and I'm not judging anybody who has to do that because we know everybody has things to do, but there's a difference when you're afflicting yourself to be able to be a comfort to others. But when you get in the, the I mode, well, I want to, or I don't want to, 
when you hear yourself saying that often, or it's in your mind round and round often, there's a problem. That's selfishness. You're feeding the enemy. There's times like, you know, we know, like we said, Pastor Greg had to get away. That was very important. There was no selfishness involved. That. that was actually for the benefit of us in a lot of ways. It was to help him, but to have that refreshment, to have that time of, you know, personal revival that's, that we are experiencing here, to be able to come back renewed, refreshed. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. We don't have to be so where it's about everybody else, but it's so easy for us to get into our comfort zones, right? About how I want to be treated, how I want to, what I want to do at home, all these things. And the enemy uses that. And it's very, I think in a lot of ways, it's very subtle. Um, but it's, it has its effects in a negative way. And another area where, we can be selfish is, is sharing our love of, of Christ and the love that he's poured out on us. You know, there's a lot of times where if, if we are being quiet and we are not sharing that love, that's selfishness. You know, the Lord will put on your heart how you should do it. Some people are meant to, you know, uh, downtown Greenville. I remember when the, the virus first hit and there was a, a preacher and I, I, list, I, I stayed to listen because I wanted to see what his heart was because he was being loud. He had to project but what he was saying was the word of God. And his heart was pleading with people. It wasn't what you would see on TV with the, the guys with the frilly hair and the, and the sport coats to match. But, um, you know, this guy had a, a heart for God. And he was pleading with people. There are people who are called to do that. Not all of us are. Some of us are called to do that in different ways, you know. But you, we each have a way. Everybody should know your way. If you don't, figure it out today. Pray about today. Not a condemnation, that's an encouragement. Figure it out today. God has a way for you. God has a purpose for each of us. And how amazing is that? God has one waiting for you. Sitting there, if you don't know it, it's sitting there saying, oh, well, once you, let me, once you come to me, I'll, I'll, I'll reveal it to you. But I think one of the biggest things, so the, the third thing um, that continues to feed the, the lifeline to the enemy in our lives is pride. Pride breaks down fellowship with God. Uh, in Psalm, and I'm going to run through some verses. Just listen because it's going to be several. But um, in Psalm 10, verse 4, it says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Um, the contrary of pride, in Isaiah 57, 15, For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And he says the same in Psalm 34, 18, that he's near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. So those who are in, have that pride, God is, is, is distant from, from us. It breaks that fellowship. Pride also causes bondage and destruction. Um, in Psalm 73, 6, it says pride encompasses as a chain. In Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's spirit, or a man's pride, sorry, shall bring him low. And listen to this, in Ezekiel 16, uh, verse 49 and 50, he says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy 
And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. And that encompassed all of that. That encompassed fear, selfishness, and pride. Um, Jeremiah thirteen nine. Thus says the Lord, In this manner I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. Daniel 5, verse 20 says about King Nebuchadnezzar, But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And Jesus said in Luke eighteen fifteen, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And in 1 Timothy um, chapter 3, verse 6, when he's warning the overseers of the church, he said it, uh, the overseer should not be a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. We know that that was what caused Satan to fall from, from heaven was his pride. He wanted to be God. So pride not only causes bondage and destruction, it also keeps us from healing. We know the story of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, Naaman was the captain of the host of the king of Syria. Um, he was a great man. Um, it says that he was... Uh, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And we know that the, the disease of leprosy um, is also often equated with sin. You know, you lose that um, feeling in your appendages and then parts start to fall off. You, you could hurt yourself and not realize it. You could cut your finger off and not realize it. The deadening of the cells, the deadening of the nerves that's leprosy. Often their noses would fall off. Um, and this is why this was equated to sin because sin is so much in that same way. Well, it's not that bad or it's not that big a deal or I'm, you know, all those things that create that, that spiritual leprosy. So Naaman actually sought Elisha to be healed of his leprosy. Um, and if you remember the story, Elisha told him to dip in the Jordan River seven times. Um, but in, in 2 Kings 5, verse 11, <laughs> but Naaman was wroth, he was angry, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away uh, turned and went away in a rage. This is what pride does. Pride is the one that makes us write the script and assume that everybody's going to follow along with it, including God. Pride is the one that's going to say, there's better at this than what God is saying. Um, I would encourage you, especially if you're involved in any kind of counseling or you're seeking counsel from somebody, whether professionally or from a, a brother or sister, one of the ways you know you're struggling with pride if the, if the person who is counseling you um, is it gives you some advice and you say, nah, nah, and you dismiss it right away. That's probably one of the first signs of pride in that area. If you can't be told you're wrong, you've got pride and you've got a problem. If you can't be told you're wrong and, and, and would seek forgiveness from a person, you've got pride and that's going to be a problem. It wasn't until Naaman actually did when he got to the end of himself and he said, okay, 
I'm going to do what the prophet Elisha said. Was he healed? So his leprosy continued on because of his pride. That's one of the important things to understand. I always talk about looking in the mirror. If you're not looking in the mirror and seeing things that need to be addressed in your life, and you just walk away as if you never looked into that mirror, that's pride. And you're going to continue in that way. And then you're going to say, yeah, but I'm, I'm seeking God. I pray. I do these things. You're going to name all these acts of, of works to think you deserve what you think you want. And you deserve. That's not how God works. He draws near to those with a contrite spirit. So Naaman was healed after he did. After he, he dunked in the dirty Jordan River. Jordan River, is not, I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but I've been there. Jordan River is not, it's not that wide. It's not that great. It's, uh, it's cool because of, you know, the historical value and because of where Jesus, that's where Jesus was. But there's nothing special about it. I can see why Naaman was like, this is what, this is. well, he wasn't Jewish. I was going to do an accent. Um, but this is where you want me to, to dip? And seven times, like, Shouldn't there be something more? Shouldn't there be a staff that's drawn into the ground and the waters part and angels come down and music in the background and all these, like, where the lights show and the smokes and, and you know, and we're not that kind of church, Naaman. I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, I digress. So addressing that pride, and it can be on big scale and it can be little things. Um, it can also blind you. Obadiah 1.3 says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Pride blinds you not only to itself, but to every other sin tucked away in the recesses of your heart and life. Um, and it causes you to hate, to be corrected and reproof. It hides your sin from you. It justifies your sin to you. And it keeps you from repenting. It deceives you into believing you are spiritually well, while in fact you have a deadly tumor growing inside you. <clears throat> Richard Baxter said it this way. He said, pride is a deep-rooted and self-preserving sin and therefore is harder to be killed and rooted up than other sins. It hinders discovery of itself. It will not allow the sinner to see his pride when he is reproved. Neither will it allow him to confess it if he sees it, nor to loathe himself and forsake it. See, this is one of the things I was talking about with the addictions program. The, the people who came in who were most successful were usually the ones who weren't churched because the church people already knew everything. And it was their pride that kept them from following and accepting it. It was those who were emptied. And I'm not saying all of the, the, those who came who knew God were like that, but there was a good number of them. Those who were, were emptied of themselves, believers or not believers, they were successful because they realized that they couldn't do anything on their own, that they needed God, and their lives were transformed. Um, and that's one of the things, too, for me, as I was talking about earlier with when I was in ministry, pride was one of the things that kept me from exposing my sin and seeking the help that I needed. There was at one point where I did, I did reach out and I was turned away, and it's a, it's a sad story, and it's not one that needs to be brought up because... Um, but I should have kept going. I should have, when I was turned away, I should have kept seeking, but instead I just quieted it and just kept it to myself. Um, but that confessing of it is so important because then it reveals it because then the enemy can't keep you in that bondage and that gets you that opportunity to be able to deal with it, to root it out. 
one of the things that I'm going to challenge, and everybody can deal with pride. We all have it on a, a certain level. But we know that men, this is something that we really struggle with, I think, in a lot of ways, because maybe your upbringing or because of how we're wired or whatever it is. Um, but I can tell you, and, and I, I always say this to my sons, that there is strength in humility. There is strength in humility because if you know who God is and you know who you are, that's got to humble you. I, I walk around and, and there's, uh, you know, I walk around in a certain level of authority when it comes to things of God. In, in myself, if I'm talking to somebody, I talk in authority, not in a, you know, what the world sees as authority, but in a, in a way that I know the confidence in what I have and what I believe in and, and the God that I serve. And in that, there's strength. But those who walk in that pride, you know what? It, the sad thing is almost everybody else can see it but you. And, you know, I have to say I'm sorry a lot. Please forgive me. I have to say that a lot to the people in my life. But, you know, I thank God that I do because there was a time in my life where I wouldn't say it because I'd be pointing fingers and blaming somebody else. Well, it's because of how I grew up, because of my dad. So that should be excused. How he, how he was and how he, you know, he mimicked what he showed me. I'm just mimicking him. He would always say, do as I say, not as I do. And boy, is that confusing. And why do you think the world's confused about Christianity? Because a lot of people are walking around as, well, do as I say, not as I do. Do as I'm, I'm preaching to you, but not as you see me doing. That's why the world is confused about God. So it's important to be able to humble yourself. And you know what? Wives, if this is something you know your husband struggles with, then pray, be prayerful about, be supportive. Don't beat him up because it is a hard thing. It's a very hard thing. But men, when you do it, and women, when you see that it's a safe place for them to do it, you are going to have a, a, a blessing that you would never know you would be able to experience. I'm not saying right away, again, the angels and the music, but there's going to be a change. And across the board, when someone feels that they are in a safe place to be able to say, hey, I need to confess something to you and not be judged, not be exposed, not made to feel horrible about it, you know what? That opens the doors, the prison doors. And you guys know that if you are sitting in a prison cell, the, the, the door is unlocked anyway. The chains are, are only there because you keep putting them around you. Jesus Christ has given you the victory. Jesus Christ has broken the bondage of those things. Get up, take the chains off, walk out of the prison cell. You might need help because your legs are feeble, they're weak. Then ask a brother, ask a sister to come alongside you. I need prayer in this. I've got a brother that I love dearly that we recently rekindled our relationship. Um, he was there for me in some really dark times and I was there for him in some dark times. And he's walking some stuff out now that are such a blessing for me to be walking alongside him. And I'm gleaning from him as he's struggling. And it's made it so he is so raw in his confession. There's times where I'm like, hey man, I, I need prayer. This is where something that I would have never confessed to another brother, I'm struggling here. This is what I'm struggling with. Well, let's pray. It's such a blessing. There's such freedom. I don't walk around with the enemy in my ear saying, you know, you're a horrible person. So anyway, We'll move on because I know that's, we're getting, time's going here. So it's important to understand that we need to stop the flow 
of water to the enemy. We need to stop that source to the enemy that continues to allow the enemy to thrive. Just like they did to the Assyrians, they, they stopped that water so that they couldn't prosper, so they couldn't live, really. We need to do the same thing in our lives with, with sin. So I'm going to breeze through the rest of this real quick. Um, in verse 5 in our text, not only did they stop the water, then they made precautions to even better fortify. And in verse 5, he, and he strengthened himself, Hezekiah. He built up the wall that was broken down, raised it up to the towers, built another wall outside. And he also repaired the Milo in the city of David and made weapons and shields in abundance. So this is where it's important for us to go beyond the bare minimum. Don't just go through the motions, but not only just stop the water, fix the wall that's broken and then build another wall and then build, make weapons for yourself. You know, we've gone through, we, we finished up the, um, the armor of God on Wednesday nights and it's so important to understand the different facets of that. Um, you can listen to it on the website. Um, Pastor Greg went through that. But to be able to be well equipped for this life that we're living in. And we're coming into some really interesting times. You know, we know with the elections, the, this, this, it's going to be an interesting time. And I'm not telling you so then get your, you know, pitchforks and, and uh, torches. I'm saying get on your knees. Be spiritually prepared for what's about to come. We don't know what's about to come, but we need to be spiritually prepared for what's about to come. So strengthen what was broken down. We are warned in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. He says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And I'll add this, or dry up. If you think, no, nah, I'm okay, be careful. Every day we are susceptible. Every moment we're able to fall. We're able to see, and I've seen this in lives of people. I've seen it in my own life and some in smaller sins, but I've seen some people drop off in, in, in more egregious sins. But at any moment we could fall. The moment you say, I'm good, it's, it's, it's a dangerous moment. So these are the things that we need to be, be careful of in ourselves. So in verse 6, then he set military captains over the people, gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate and gave them encouragement, saying, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So it's interesting. I, I talked about Hercules had uh, taught on Joshua chapter one on Wednesday night. One thing that struck out to me, and this is what I love about when, you know, when we're being fed the word of God, each of us are going to walk away with something different. Um, and there's times we're going to walk away with something that probably wasn't even said, but God said to you that you know, was drawn out. But there was something in verse 8 that stuck with me that um, in Joshua chapter 1 where it said, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night. That word meditate in the Hebrew means to utter, mutter, or speak. So God is saying that day and night to be muttering or speaking to yourself the word. This is something that he said to you should encourage, this should be an encouragement to you. So it's, it's funny because Wednesday into Thursday, I went home and I just started doing that. I wasn't mumbling, you know, you know but I was, I was walking around in my head. I was like, you know, I was speaking of the word. And it was interesting the difference that that made for me that day. 
But walking around just, you know, I, I think it's, it's sad and it's funny that we probably have this picture of this, you know, somebody with crazy hair walking around and just muttering to themselves and, you know, just, you know, they go through persecution for different reasons. But, um, but there's a reason that God had said this. And there's a reason that he said that this, be encouraged and be strong and courageous through this meditation. So I would encourage you to do that, um, to, to do this muttering and, and uttering and speaking the word to yourself. And if it's not something you know, memorize, then just have your word with you and, and, and memorize these things. But this, this is how the, the Lord instructed his people to be strengthened and to grow, then why aren't we doing it? Maybe some of you are, but why? this is something that we should do. And these are the encouragements that are passed on from generation to generation. And this is why it's so important that what we do, we pass it on. My sons, I tell them a lot of things and they get sick of hearing it. I know it. They're tired of, of, of some of the things that I'm saying. Um, and they would rather be elsewhere. But you know what? This is, they can hate me now and love me later, I guess. But um, so if you're struggling in your walk and you're feeding the enemy through fear, selfishness, or pride, or you're not walking in the victory that Jesus has given to us. I'm just going to give you, to close, some verses of encouragement. Not only that one from Joshua 1, like, you know what? Use that as part of your, your, um, your weapons to, to just be continually uttering to yourself the word of God. Isaiah 12, 2 through 3 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy will I draw water from the wells of salvation. Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. Exodus 14.14 says, The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Hosea 6.1-3 says, Come and let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. And in John chapter 4, verses 11 through 14, the woman said to him, Jesus, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing into everlasting life. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If the joy of the Lord is not your strength, then there's something wrong with your water. There's something wrong with what you're drinking from. These are the things that we need to every day be taking evaluations of to see, okay, is this water the water of God or am I drinking from elsewhere? Is the water muddy? Is it salty? All those analogies of not being pure and clean. These are the things that we need to do to make sure that we are in that fellowship with God to be able to, to then be able to have that fellowship of the suffering of Christ to be able to minister to others, to minister to each other. And it's important for us to realize that 
These all come from God. These are not things that we're going to do on our own. Just like God had set it up for the nation of Israel to be dependent on him for that water and how that water came down to them, we have to be dependent. We have to be dependent on that living water every day, every moment of every day, but every day. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we know that you are good. We know that you are with us. Lord, we know that your water is pure and clean and holy. And we know that we can't produce it on our own. Lord, we know we can't rely on the water that was drawn from yesterday. Lord, we need you today. So Lord, we pray right now in this time, Lord, for for ourselves, for our brothers and sisters, Lord, that if there's anything that is feeding the enemy, Lord, fear, pride, selfishness, and the list goes on. There's so much more laziness. There's other things that, that hinder us and continue to feed the water to the enemy, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would reveal those things or that you would empower us and encourage us to, to reveal those things and remove those things, Lord. If things need to be confessed, Lord, that we would confess those things. Lord, if we need help, that we would seek help. Lord, whatever it is that is hindering us in our walk, I pray, Lord, that you would remove those things, that you would encourage us, Lord, for those who are tired, who are weary, who are downtrodden, who are hurting. Lord, that you would revive the joy of their salvation so it can be strength to them. Lord, and if there's anybody here, whether in this building or listening online, Lord, that don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would understand that there's a God who loves them, that is not asking for anything from them except for them, to empty themselves and to come to him, to cry out and say, God, I need you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross to pay that debt that I could not pay. There is nothing good in me but Lord, that you would come into our lives and to save us and to bring that joy and to bring that living water and to understand what it means that we are walking in the victory of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you so much that we can have this time with you, Lord, have this time together as a family. And Lord, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us. You pour out your spirit upon this nation, Lord. You would pour out your spirit upon our loved ones who don't know you, Lord. Isolate them until all they can do is look at you and surrender, Lord. Not because we want to be right. We want them to be religious. No, Lord, we want them to know you, to know truth, to know hope, to know what love really is, the love of God. And we thank you so much for it, Lord. I pray now this during this worship time that our, our voices, Lord, would just come to your throne as a sweet aroma a sacrifice of praise, Lord. Help us to stay in the moment, Lord. We thank you so much. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.